Hey guys, welcome to the God Besotted Podcast. I'm your host, Karina, and we are taking a break from our regular scheduled programming of looking at the attributes of God to look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians 2. Studying this passage lately has really been blessing me, and my hope and my prayer is that it will encourage you as well. So I think it's going to be a good time, and we should just get right into it. All right, well, for starters, I have a bit of a confession to make, and that is that I am kind of a sucker for Hallmark movies. Yes, I know, Hallmark movies. Let's just have a moment of silence for the loss of my dignity. I know that the dialogue in the movies is cheesy. I know the actors are B-list at best, but there's just something I enjoy about feel-good movies that you know will end happily ever after. And well, if you've ever seen much of this type of movie, these Hallmark-esque feel-good movies, then you've probably seen one where a princess and a peasant trade lives, or one where an ordinary girl becomes a princess uh, for a period of time or for forever. In these sorts of movies, inevitably the girl who goes from nothing to royalty has to kind of learn the ropes, right? She has to be guided through the details of her new life because it comes with new customs and new traditions and new responsibilities. Maybe she's now a princess in a totally new country, or maybe she doesn't know she's supposed to put her pinky up when she sips her tea. Maybe she just had no idea of the history of royal lineage that she's just stepped into. Whatever the details of these movies are, because we know there are so many of them, the the main character, the, the peasant turned princess, or the ordinary girl who's become a princess, she can't keep going on living the way she used to. She needs to live in a way that's true to her new lifestyle. And so in a lot of these movies, she'll have someone who's guiding her in her journey to becoming who she now is, someone who can help develop her so that her practice, her day-to-day life, and the way she thinks and acts reflects her new position. But imagine for a moment, just ever so briefly, if the girl in the movie insisted on not learning the ropes, as it were. She just kept on living however she wanted to, even if it reflected poorly on the kingdom or the country she represented. She was just barking orders at people, shirking her duties, insulting other royals, and just all in all all living like a slop. Or imagine if on top of not acting like a princess, she wanted to skip being a princess and just go straight to being queen. Well, that would be quite a horrendous movie, but the passage that we're in today reminds me a lot of that imaginary scenario. The Corinthians uh, were believers in Christ who'd been given this brand new life by virtue of their belief in Christ and their salvation in Christ. And this new life came with unimaginable blessings and benefits, and it also came with responsibilities. There was quite a lot that they needed to know if they were going to truly grow into what they'd been called to be, which was mature believers in Christ. But instead of practicing this new lifestyle that reflected their new position in Christ, instead they were living like they did before they were Christians. And on top of it all, in Christ, they'd been given special privileges and blessings as sons and daughters of God. But they thought that that meant that they'd receive all this glory that had been prepared for them in this life instead of the one to come. And the truth is, we are no different from the Corinthians. 
We have also been called to be mature believers, not relying on the wisdom of the world, but instead embracing the wisdom of God, walking by the spirit, not the flesh. But often we fall short. We buy the world's lies and live by the world's standards. All the while, we're getting robbed of the blessings that God has for us when we choose to embrace his wisdom in Christ instead of our own. So God has graciously given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help us navigate our new life in Christ so that our practice reflects our position in Christ. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 through 9, but I would encourage you to read both before and after it when you have some time. And so we're going to look at these verses and try to hone in on this main idea. God's wisdom, his wise plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, was predestined for our glory because of his love for us and is understood by us as we love him and die to our pride. So let's go ahead and read. So 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 through 9 say, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has just spent considerable time denouncing the world's wisdom, which Paul said doesn't lead people to an understanding of the cross, the central message of the gospel, which is Christ crucified. Instead of focusing on the cross, the Corinthians were divided over their loyalty to human teachers based on who had better uh, speaking skills, on how eloquent each of them sounded according to the world's standards of what constitutes good speaking skills, rhetoric and human philosophy and oratory. It would be like if I got saved through Francis Chan's ministry and you got saved through Tim Keller's and someone else listening got saved through Billy Graham's ministry and we just all started forming factions based on our loyalty to these preachers. And of course, we never do that, right? That's a topic for another day. But that's what the Corinthians were doing. Some of their teachers and spiritual fathers, uh, in their case, were Peter, Apollos, and Paul. And they were forming factions based on these folks. So Paul said in the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that the Corinthians should be focused on the message, on the word of the cross, not on the messengers and their persuasive words of wisdom. But now in this section, verses 6 through 9, and the larger section, verses 6 through 16, Paul is pausing. He's taking a beat to make sure that the Corinthians understand he's not discrediting true godly wisdom. So in verse 6, he says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. He's making a strong contrast. However, in comparison to all I've just said about the world's wisdom, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Immediately, we have to stop and we have to ask two questions. Who is we and who are the mature? Well, we'll start with we. Up to this point in 1 Corinthians, Paul's largely been saying, you Corinthians and I, Paul. But now he stops and suddenly says, yet we do speak wisdom. Well, this is a usage of what commentators call the editorial we. Paul is speaking with all the authority of his profession as an apostle. And so the we, the first person plural here, refers at least to Paul, 
but in this context, probably to other apostles as well, such as Apollos and Peter, who he's already mentioned. So the we is Paul and other preachers and teachers of the gospel. Paul wants to reinforce what he's been saying in verses 1 through 5, when he said that his message came in the power of the Spirit, not in the trappings of worldly wisdom that the Corinthians were valuing so highly. Essentially, Paul is saying, despite what you may think about the way I preach, what I preach is wisdom. I've been telling you that loyalty to human teachers shouldn't be your focus, but we, your human teachers, do preach wisdom. It may not look the way you expect in your worldliness, but it's true wisdom, and I'm about to tell you why. So Paul and his apostolic associates were speaking wisdom, he says, among the mature. Second question, who are the mature? While the word mature simply means perfect or complete, and in different contexts in scripture, it can refer to a more mature believer, uh, such as in chapter 14, verse 20. But in this context, it means a true believer. In verse 14, in a later section, Paul is going to contrast the mature, who he's speaking to now, with unbelievers. So the mature believer is the spiritual person of verse 15 that's coming up. The mature believer is someone who has the spirit of God, a Christian, as opposed to the natural or unbelieving person who can't accept the things of God. And the reason Paul introduces this idea of maturity here is that all Christians should aim for maturity. Paul wants the Corinthians to be grown-ups, not infants in the faith. And they're going to become these grown-ups by walking by the Spirit and becoming more like Christ. More on that later. But this wasn't true of the Corinthians. Paul here, in using this word mature, calls the Corinthians what they're called to be, not what they necessarily are right now. In chapter 3, Paul says that they were living as fleshly people, living as if they didn't have the Spirit at all, and fulfilling the desires of their sinful flesh. But nonetheless, Paul is saying all believers should recognize this wisdom that he and the apostles were imparting. The natural question at this point is, what wisdom is Paul talking about? What characterizes the wisdom he affirms, as opposed to the wisdom that he's been denouncing, the wisdom of the world? Well, before Paul gets to what wisdom he is talking about, first he's going to tell them a little bit more about what wisdom he is not talking about. He said, A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. This age refers to the time period in which Paul and the Corinthians lived, the era in which they lived. So in one sense, it means the wisdom of AD 51 when Paul wrote. But it also means the wisdom of this era between the two comings of Christ. The New Testament teaches that now that Christ has come in the flesh, there are two ages that overlap. There's this one, the present evil age of Galatians 1.4, and there's the one to come. The kingdom of God has begun to be brought into the world by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it's continuing to be brought to bear in the world by believers who have the Holy Spirit. But it hasn't come in its fullness. And it won't come in its fullness until Christ returns. So Paul is talking about the wisdom of this era. And it's the time period in which we live as well as just in general this this time between the comings of Christ in which we live, the present evil age. So the wisdom of the world that he's been referring to in chapter one is the same as the wisdom of this age. It's the human values and priorities and schemes that are part of this sinful world uh, that we live in now. 
In the book of James, James describes the world's wisdom versus what he calls the wisdom from above in chapter 3. And he asks this question, who among you is wise and understanding? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Hold on to that word humility. Then he says in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom the kind that is arrogant and is reflected in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. James tells us that the wisdom of the world is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. These are sins that are rooted in pride. We already know from chapter 1 that Paul's focused in this section on addressing the disunity that existed among the Corinthians. Remember, they were divided into these factions and they weren't united in the faith. And he's going to call this disunity in the next section, uh, chapter 3, he's going to call it strife and jealousy. And so pride is why the Corinthians were elevating people based on their status, their power and their prestige and their wealth. Pride is why there was strife and jealousy and division and disunity in their congregation. And so Paul is saying the wisdom he imparts to the mature is not of this world. It's not characterized by pride. And to further emphasize this point, he says the wisdom he speaks is not only not of the age, but it's also not of the rulers of this age. Why mention the rulers? Who are they? The rulers are those who are in positions of power and authority. They're the world's leaders who represent the best of the best of the world's wisdom, the creme de la creme. And Paul says, these people who ought to be wise aren't. And the power that they are perceived to have by the Corinthians, that the Corinthians value so highly, their power is temporary. Because Paul says, along with this whole evil age, they're passing away. They're coming to nothing. Just think of some of the wisdom of the world we hear today and some of the slogans that get tossed around that reflect the world's wisdom. A few that come to my mind are, you only live once, or live your truth, or tap into your power. If you dissect the world's slogans and the world's wisdom, they're all focused on me. They're all focused on elevating me. And so the wisdom of this age may have changed masks since AD 51, since the Corinthians day, but underneath it is still the same. It's rooted in pride. It's about boasting in ourselves and glorifying man's abilities and man's achievements and making much of man instead of God. And Paul says, this is all coming to nothing. It won't last. It can't save. It's doomed to pass away. But now that he's told us what this wisdom doesn't look like, he's going to tell us what it does look like. And thank God, unlike the world's wisdom, which is transitory, which is passing away, God's wisdom is eternal. So Paul says in verse 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So God's wisdom is spoken in a mystery, he says. In the New Testament, a mystery is a truth that was previously hidden, but is now revealed. It's a secret that man can't discover on his own, but which God has chosen to reveal. In Colossians and Ephesians, Paul talks more about this mystery, and it's God's plan to save both the Jews and Gentiles 
in Christ. So Paul says we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. We speak God's wise plan of salvation in Christ, which was hidden from past ages and generations, but it's now being revealed to believers through us, through our preaching. And Paul says this striking statement that I've just been hanging on to. He says, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Think about that. It's stunning to see how Paul's description of this message of wisdom points us to the love of God. Because he's telling us that not only did God, out of love, choose to reveal this wisdom, which we otherwise would not have known, would not have been able to discover, but he also predestined this wisdom, pre-planned this wisdom to our glory, for our glory. What does that even mean? This wisdom of God, this wise plan of salvation was for our glory. Paul's referring to the end goal of our salvation in Christ, which is that we will be made complete in Christ. We will share in the very glory of God. In 2 Thessalonians 2.14, Paul says, it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this end result, this end goal of our salvation, is so sure to happen that Romans 8 talks about it as if it's already happened. Paul says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, believers, the Corinthians, you and me, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So what this passage says is that God planned our salvation through Christ from its beginning to its end, before the foundation of the world. That means God had our eternal benefit, our eternal glory in mind before we even existed. We serve a God who has perfect wisdom. That means he's able to achieve the most loving outcome using the most loving means. He knows what's best for us and he knows the best way to give it to us. And he has infinite resources, infinite power, infinite knowledge to accomplish it. And this plan that he's had in his mind from eternity past is to do us more good than we could ever fathom. And so what Paul says here about God's wisdom, which is eternal and not passing away, and that it was predestined before the ages to our glory, is such a strong testament to the love of God. So Paul says his God's plan of salvation out of God's love has been revealed and it's set in motion, but, but it's still hidden to some. In fact, it's hidden even to people who are in power and are wise by the world's standards. So in verse 8, Paul continues and says, None of the rulers of this age understood this wisdom, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let that last phrase sink in. The contrast is so striking. Paul says the Lord of glory was crucified. That's a term he doesn't use elsewhere of Christ, the Lord of glory. It's, it's supposed to draw to your mind passages in the Old Testament that refer to God as the King of glory and the God of glory. This simple, simple phrase is such a strong statement of the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, the eternal Son of God who is one with the Father. This, this Jesus was crucified. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said the word of the cross, 
the message that Christ died for our sins by being crucified on a cross is, for believers, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But to those who don't believe, it's foolishness. It's absurd. The idea of a crucified Christ was incomprehensible to both the Jews and the Greeks. Neither Jews nor Greeks could reconcile the humiliation and shame that crucifixion carried with the expectations they had for the Messiah. And even the rulers of this age, Paul says, the earthly rulers who crucified Christ, that's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, Pilate's soldiers, the world's most wise, most influential people didn't understand God's wisdom. And Paul says, how do we know? Because they crucified the Lord of glory. If the Jewish leaders and the Romans who crucified Christ had understood If they had truly grasped the wisdom of God, the plan of God for salvation, which all centered around a crucified Christ, they never would have crucified him. Because what the rulers thought was the end of the problem of Jesus, and what Satan and his minions thought was their moment of greatest triumph, was actually their downfall. In John 12, the Pharisees were terrified of Jesus' influence during his earthly ministry. They said, the whole world has gone after him. That means followed. The whole world has followed him. But their solution, killing Jesus, turned out to create an even greater problem for them. Because the crucifixion of Christ began this movement, Christianity, that still hasn't stopped. And the crucifixion of Christ paved the way for the rise of Jesus from the dead and his victory over sin, Satan, and death itself. The crucifixion of Christ was the central act of God's plan for salvation for humanity. And so the rulers of this age, the era that we now live in, which is still part of the present evil age, our rulers, our leaders, they're no different than Pilate and Herod and Pilate's soldiers and the like. They can't recognize Christ either. Paul's message to the Corinthians rings true today in 2022. Power, money, status, fame, none of these things equip the leaders of our world to recognize Jesus for who he is, and that is the Lord of glory, God in the flesh, Christ crucified. For example, Oprah Winfrey, someone who, by the world standards, is wise. She has power, she has influence, she has wealth, she has a platform and fame. She was talking and she was saying there couldn't be just one way, um, talking about salvation and talking about heaven. And this lady in the audience said, what about Jesus? And Oprah replied, what about Jesus? Does God care about your heart or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? And so she is someone who people in our world today look to for wisdom, yet she can't recognize the wisdom of God, which is found in Christ crucified, in the Lord of glory crucified for us. And so Paul has been saying that the wisdom of God has been revealed. It has been predestined for uh, us, for our glory, out of God's love for us, but it's still hidden to many. And then Paul wraps up this section and kind of continues his thought in verse 9. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul says God's hidden wisdom, his plan to bless believers eternally out of his great love for them, 
can't be understood through any of the methods of comprehension that we have available to us naturally. None of our human means of comprehension can even fathom all that God has prepared for those who love him. Walter Kaiser comments on this verse. He says, these things, so that is the blessings of redemption and all the things that come with it, did not come from empirical sources, eye has not seen, traditional knowledge passed on in community, ear has not heard, or intuitive insight, heart or mind has not conceived. So while those considered wise in this world couldn't understand God's wisdom in Christ, so they crucified Jesus, the wonderful eternal blessings of salvation in Christ have been prepared, Paul says, for those who love God. Now, Paul is still addressing the so-called mature, what all true believers should be. They are described as those who love God. And so what just struck me so much about this passage is that what we see here is that the love of God, love for God, is what should mark mature believers who are truly spiritual, truly led by the Spirit. It's not special knowledge gained in seminary or some special spiritual status through the use of spiritual gifts that help us grasp God's wisdom. It's God lovingly revealing his wisdom to us and then us loving him in return that helps us grow in maturity and helps us become more spirit-led and more Christ-like. The Corinthians' strife and jealousy, which was rooted in pride, showed that they were not apprehending the wisdom of God. They were too focused on the wisdom of the world, which is doomed to pass away, to even look at the cross and the wisdom of God that's found there. This passage, as I read it, was just so encouraging to me because it reminds me of what Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. God's got a plan for us, and it is for our eternal benefit. Paul says in Romans 8 that the sufferings of this present age aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when we feel like fools for Christ's sake, when we feel weak, when we feel dishonored, hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, reviled, persecuted, slandered, when we feel like the scum of the world, we're in good company. Because the apostles experienced these things too. Paul's going to say that in chapter 4. And so we should be very wary of anyone that preaches to us that we should or we will have power or wealth or glory in this life. Mind you, it's not wrong to have influence or to be famous. Paul says not many called by God had status or were noble or had wealth. But that means some were. The point is, if we believe the lie that we ought to have these things, this power, this wealth, this glory, we've fallen into the same error as the Corinthians. Paul's going to say in chapter 4 that they thought of themselves as kings, that they were filled, well-off, influential, wise by the world's standards. But our glory is not for this age. It is reserved for the age to come. And so Paul wants the Corinthians to look at the cross, to look at the Lord of glory who was crucified, and to understand by God's Spirit what the world couldn't understand. And that's that the way of the cross is the way of glory. The Christian life may look ugly, may look bloody, it may look humble, even laughable, ridiculous, uncool, radical, lowly. It may look all those things right now, 
but we can trust that the same God who planned our glory in advance, in eternity past, before we even existed, will also accomplish this glory for us, this good for us in the age to come. What Paul wants the Corinthians to get, and what I believe he wants us to understand from these verses, is that the message of the cross is the model for Christian living. It's the paradigm for us to follow. God, in his great love, has given us his son. And Paul's going to go on in the next section to say he's also given us his spirit, which is how we understand and believe the gospel. So for us to go on living as though being in Christ is a free pass for living how we did before, or for us to live like the glory that Christ bought for us by his blood is so that we can live it up in this life, should never be. To grow in maturity, we have to understand, I have to understand, you have to understand what the world and its wisdom did not, that the way of the cross is the way of glory. Christ was crucified for us so that we could share in his glory forever, so that we could be known eternally as those whom God loves and as those who love God, for whom God has prepared unimaginable blessings. But pride, just as it was blocking the Corinthians, is what blocks us from this growth and maturity. Pride is what robs us of the blessings that God has for us. Pride, as we've been saying, is what is at the root of the world's wisdom. We who are in Christ have this new life in Christ. We don't have the spirit of the world anymore, but we sometimes live like we do, don't we? And when we do, Paul is saying we are blocking our blessings and we're short-circuiting the Spirit's work of revealing truth to us, which Paul's going to go into in the next section. So I would encourage you, as I've been encouraging myself as I've been studying this passage, when you experience what James called in James 3, he called disorder and every evil thing. When you experience chaos in your life and disunity in your relationships like the Corinthians were, I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to look for an outward cause first. That's something that I'm so learning. When I'm confronted with chaos or disunity in a relationship, I tend to look at, okay, what's the outside, the outward circumstance causing my lack of peace? What is other people's fault in the disunity that we're having? But James said that jealousy and selfish ambition, which are characteristics of the world's wisdom, are what cause disorder and every evil thing. And we know that what's at the root of jealousy and selfish ambition is pride. So disorder in our lives, chaos, disunity is an invitation to look inward and to search out, where am I valuing the world's wisdom? Is pride why I'm offended and choosing to ice out my friend, trying to make them pay for the wrong that they did me? Is jealousy why I've chosen to be unhelpful to a coworker, and I just rather watch them struggle? Is selfish ambition why I would say no to serving in a position that I consider is beneath me? As we ask these questions, we're assessing places where we're either walking by the world's wisdom or by God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is Christ crucified. Paul says in Galatians that we as believers were crucified with him. We were crucified with Christ. That means we don't live like we used to. We have this new position in Christ as children of God, as heirs to a glorious kingdom, kind of like that princess in the Hallmark movie. 
And so we are called to act like it, to make our practice reflect our position, to be grown-ups in the faith, becoming more mature day by day, glory by glory, by looking at Christ, looking at the cross. That's what the Corinthians had stopped doing. They thought they had elevated past that elementary knowledge. Oh, the cross, we've covered that. Let's move on to knowledge. Let's move on to special uh, knowledge and spiritual gifts. But Paul is saying, no, you've got it all backwards. Keep focusing on Christ crucified. Keep looking at Christ and at the cross. And as we look, we'll be reminded of God's love for us. And we will also return that love back to him. And that's the love that's going to compel us to put down pride and pick up our cross. A love that's in response to a a God who would send his son, the Lord of glory, to be crucified for us because the way of the cross is the way of glory for Jesus and for us and Paul's encouragement to us and um, I hope that it encourages you is that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived all that God has prepared for those who love him those whom he has loved eternally and those whom he has called to model the crucifixion of Christ by dying to pride and living for Christ in a way that's marked by the cross forever. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the God Besotted Podcast. I am so grateful for every opportunity I get to share God's word with you so that we can all know God more deeply and love him and his people more. If you're loving this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts and join me next Monday as we continue our series on the attributes of God. Also, don't forget to come find me on Instagram at God underscore besotted. I would love to connect with you and talk about the podcast with you there. So until next time, may we be God besotted in all we do.